Welcome back to Footwork, a podcast for those who dream big, never settle, and make their own path. I'm Sean. And I'm Dylan. Together with guests, we share stories and tips every Monday to educate, inspire, and create a community built of soccer players and dream chasers. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. So, James Lawrence, welcome to Footwork. Yeah, hi, guys. So we always start with this little motto we have here, which is make your own path. And as someone who's played in quite a few countries now, different cultures, different demands, what does make your own path mean to you? Um, well, that's quite interesting you say that because actually, I think it was two weeks ago, I was I was doing uh, actually another podcast. And on that podcast, they also kind of asked me about my journey. And I said, um, in a way, I've had a very individual path throughout my career. Um, I think it like what it means to me is kind of just, uh, go with the flow, go wherever wherever you think is best for you, make a decision and stick to it. And and wherever that takes you is kind of um, the best thing for you at that time. And, and you've got to be happy with that decision. I mean, I've had a very, um, like I wouldn't say a very typical journey as a, as a footballer. I think I've done, I've done things that others maybe perhaps have not. And um, I've seen different areas of the world and I've really enjoyed it. So I, I take all that experience with me. Um, and I think it's really good to kind of do those things. You get you get other other experiences throughout the world, and you kind of um, get to see different cultures and live in different places. And to me, that's that's something really beautiful that you can take away from football. Um, so I think, yeah, I would say that. And before we dive deeper into your amazing journey, who are you? Where were you? And where are you going? Yeah, so James Lawrence. Um, I'm currently at uh, SDFC Nuremberg in Germany, south of Germany. I started off my career at a very young age at Arsenal in England. Uh, I grew up in London. Um, I went through kind of youth academies in England. I played for Queen's Park Rangers um, before moving to Holland. So my whole family moved to Holland and I decided to go with them. Um, I then played for a small team called Haarlem, uh, just outside Amsterdam for one year before being scouted by Ajax Amsterdam. Um, I then spent two years in the youth academy at Ajax before moving around to a couple of other teams in Holland, kind of searching for first team football. Um, so playing in like under 23s of Sparta Rotterdam and then Erkese Varwijk in the South. And from there, I was kind of really wanting to make that breakthrough into first team football. And the place that offered me that funnily enough was Slovakia. Um, and so I went into the first league in Slovakia to a team that was looking really promising. Um, that also had a few Dutch players, uh, a Dutch owner. So that was kind of like familiarity for me. And I went and played there um, for two years, was very, very successful in those first two years, um, won the League and Cup double twice. Um, and then I made a move to Anderlecht in Belgium. And that was kind of the biggest kind of step in my career up to that point, was to move to Anderlecht. From Anderlecht, I then went to St. Pauli in the north of Germany for three years and now uh, as I said before, in the south of Germany, is the FC Nuremberg. And speaking of Nuremberg, your time here now, um, how does it feel to kind of be off to the races in another season and, you know, the the home that you set up here now in Nuremberg? Yeah, it feels good to be off again. Um, we didn't really have much of a break anyway. We only had a few weeks off anyway. But, uh, yeah, it feels good to be off, um, you know, after the whole preseason. The preseason is uh is pretty much hell and you've got to get through it every year uh but we've made it through and now you're kind of into that whole uh journey of the season again which is actually really nice because you get much more rhythm kind of thing and mm. uh, everything flows much better and as the new season's underway do you set out personal goals when you start a new season 
And I guess how over time has that changed? Interesting. Um, yes, always. So I always set myself small goals and big goals. Um, you know, I set myself kind of very achievable goals, things that I can uh, progress over during the season. And then I set myself kind of bigger goals that I may or may not make, but it's something to kind of work towards. Um, and interestingly, over my career, it's it, like the goals used to be very... Um, you know, win the league, uh, mm -hmm. do this, do that, do that. And as as my career has gone on and I've gotten kind of older, it's become more stay fit, play all these games, you know, don't get yeah. injured, yeah. You know, kind of extend your career as long as possible, those kind of things. So keep your body fit. Um, mm -hmm. So that's quite funny, actually, how thing, like, things have changed over time. Have you scaled it down as well? Because I've noticed over the years, I've kind of gotten into the routine of having maybe a bit more da daily or weekly goals to kind of set me up for success on the weekend. Cause as you know, as a player, anything can really happen. And especially as a, an attacking player, it used to be score 20 goals, but you know, that's, that's a very tough thing to do for anyone. So you kind of, what I found in personal success is to strip it back. And then that helps me perform on the field. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty much what I mean by with the small goals and then the bigger goals. I did, I did exactly that. And, and I still do. I have a little whiteboard at home. And I write down my things that I want to accomplish in the week. It's more what I want to focus on. So, for example, if I really want to focus on um, just simply passing in training, mm -hmm. then I'll write down, do this number of passes or play this play this many progressive passes in training. And then I'll kind of like sit down after the training and go, well, how many, how many of those did I really do? And I'll kind of like go and write that down and then see if, if I, I make that kind of weekly progression. So that's more the things I really work on week to week. And then, like, I have, you know, the season goals, which is play this many games, keep this many clean sheets, um, those kind of things. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you say, you kind of, like, go step by step during the week and then see where you end up at the end. I love to hear that you're physically writing things down, too. I think that's a great thing for young guys to kind of take in that whole process. Have you always done that in your career? And does it kind of spill over into any types of journaling to help you kind of off the field as well? Yeah, so um, I've done it, I think, since I moved to Anderlecht, I've done it, so about six years now. Mm -hmm. um, and it was actually an idea of my of my manager who, you know, he's kind of my manager, coach, helps me review game film, helps me mentally, you know, so I talked to him and he basically suggested that I should just get a, write, a whiteboard and write down all the things that we're talking about. And so then it just gives you that visual visual representation of what you're going to work on that week. And it's just very easy to remember because you just walk, you put it somewhere where you can see it in your house, you know, like next to the mirror, wait in your hallway or something where you're going to walk out um, and you just kind of see it and take it in every day that, you know, those are the kind of things that you need to work on. So I would really recommend it. I started doing it, um, like I said, six years ago and it, and it kind of really helped me mentally to just, just to have in the back of your head what you're supposed to be doing in the day instead of going into a training with just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to see where it goes kind of thing. It just really helps you to focus. Yeah. 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 A purpose for the day. I love that. Yeah. How would you describe yourself as a player and what attributes um, would you say are crucial to become a pro? Um, I would say number one would be determination. Um, mm. I think you have to have so much determination. You also have to be able to kind of take a lot of hits. Um, so you have to have tough skin. Um, you know, you have to believe in yourself and also surround yourself with people who believe in you as well. Um, I think, you know, you can't always be the one to believe in yourself and push yourself on. You also need kind of close friends or family who also believe in you sometimes when you're down and you don't believe in yourself that kind of push you further as well. So I think that in my career has been like a, a main factor, just 
not giving up, being really determined to, to make it as a professional footballer because my journey wasn't uh, the most smooth or simple. Um, but I just kept going and I kept pushing and I, I, it was something I always wanted and I just kept working towards that. And in the end, it, it turned out and that I, that I made it. So I would say those qualities are really, really important. And in terms of the kind of player I am, it's more, um, I like to be very calm on the ball. Uh, I like to kind of make good decisions, try and be progressive, try and keep the ball on the ground, play out from the back uh, as a defender. And, and yeah, as a defender, kind of just win my one-on-one duels. Um, I'm quite good in the air. So aerially, I'm pretty strong. Um, and yeah, those are, those are some of my qualities that I have. How do you feel, how do you feel in the second Bundesliga? And how do you, like, how do you feel in terms of the level of play and the style of play and how your game fits into it? So I think it also kind of depends on the team you play with because we have in the second Bundesliga, you have completely different styles from, from top to bottom. So you have some teams who, who like to play kind of just long ball, win the second ball and then play from there. And there's not much build up going on. And then you have some other teams who like to play out completely from the back, um, keep the ball on the floor and stuff like that. So I think I've been quite lucky in the teams that I've been in in St. Pauli. It was kind of half half. Sometimes we we just played games where we were just pretty much fighting and putting in a lot of effort and then also others when we were keeping the ball on the ground and here as well I think especially this season we've really tried to work on building up from the back creating triangles creating the third man creating that extra player for the two against one you know like seeing where the press is coming from playing through the press in that direction so you find the free man in the back of someone who's pressing so I think we've really worked on that really well which is which is good that's nice that's that's more my style of play so yeah that's been really good but like I said you have these other teams who then completely counter to that. They play these yeah, long sure. football, second balls, kind of traditional. Um, but I think in the second Bundesliga, you have pretty much every game is even. So it's really mm-hmm. tough to say, you know, oh, this team there, this team there. Everything's very even. So anyone can kind of win or lose uh, on any day. So that's in a way quite exciting because you never really know what's going to happen. It could be, it could go either way, but um, it's a very competitive league. And you've had the fortune of playing under some some big name coaches and in some different countries and things like that. So for you, in terms of, you know, playing under um, a certain structure, a certain philosophy, do you feel like you're still learning in that regard in terms of different ways to play and different ways which you can kind of excel within a system or bring your own flair to a system? Yeah, so it's more like, I feel like, yeah, I've learned a lot of different systems throughout my career and I obviously have different ones that I prefer for my own style and uh, ones that perhaps don't suit me so well. So it's kind of funny. You have to adapt to those systems and and try and bring your own thing. Sometimes it's not always going to be possible and you have to adjust to the system more than um, the system adjusts to you in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, yeah, I, I prefer personally playing like a four at the back, um, central defensive midfielder, two, eight, and then kind of wingers and things like that, because that just provides me with the most options. Um, but I've also played in, in back threes um, quite often, and I would prefer then to play on the left side. That gives me also kind of more option to carry the ball forward and things like that. So, yeah, you have to, when you have different systems and you have different coaches wanting different things from you, you just have to kind of adapt to that. And then once you've adapted, bring your own thing as well. And then switching in, so speaking on like your time when you were, when you play with Wales and then you come back into your club and, and country, those systems can be quite varying in terms of what the coaches want. So how, is it easy enough as a professional to kind of just switch on off in terms of what's demanded of you and how you're supposed to play within that system? Uh, yeah, it is. It is. It 
is quite seamless so you kind of go in and obviously you're it's not just like you're going in and playing a game you go in and then you, you have training sessions and things like that so you're practicing your shape and all these different systems so you you do have time to kind of adjust it's not just like one day to another mm-hmm. but then like once you have it in your head then it's kind of there already so um you can then kind of like just kind of go straight into that mode of okay i'm right this i'm playing this system now so these are like this is what i need to do blah 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 blah, blah. and then once you come back to the club and you're playing that, you know, the club is kind of your normal system. So that's the one yeah, that you're working yeah, on day right. in, day out. So that comes the easiest for you. And then with your, with, when you're playing with your country, that's the one that you need to kind of more switch into. So, um, but you only take, you know, a day or two and you're usually yeah. just there already. Yeah. And now one in the clock back growing up in youth academies and then like Arsenal and QPR, um, how were these experiences for you? And, and at that point in your life, was it basically football or nothing from a young age? Um, I think, no, my parents always tried to, um, keep a balance in, in, in life in terms of football, but also education and also extracurricular activities as well. So I was, I was still playing like rugby at school. I was still playing you know, cricket in the summer and, and hockey as well at my, at the school that I was at. So I was still doing all these other sports, um, and, you know, extra activity, extracurricular activities, like I was doing a lot of music stuff as well. Um, and then also there was that focus on education. So I think, you know, all the way up until I was um, about 16, um, before I moved to Holland in the UK, that's, you know, I, I split my focus quite well, which wasn't easy because, you know, I was, it was having to do school and then you would go after school, even though you'd be already, I might have a sports day at school, be playing rugby, and then I've got to switch and then have a training session with football and then play football on the weekend um, on a Sunday, whereas I've had a game with rugby on the Saturday with the school. So um, I think that helped me in terms of fitness and things like that, because I was just kind of like constantly mm. playing. Always, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I wouldn't say it was like my 100% focus was on football. It was very, um, it was really big for me to be at a club like Arsenal at such a young age, because I got to see kind of like how professional it was and and just kind of like the facilities, the atmosphere, the coaching, um, everything was just very intense and like you know you had to be on it every single time so that i think was like a great place for me to start because that gave me that intensity um that i've kind of carried with me um but i wouldn't say that i was all i knew all i wanted to do was play football within myself but at the same time i still enjoyed doing other things so i didn't cut those off completely and i still kind of enjoyed doing them and as you know it's I mean, football is a game of opinions. And then at such a young age, young age, we've we've heard, we've read, we've listened to podcasts in terms of people saying that it can be quite cutthroat in England in terms of these academies. So at a young age, you know, kind of reliant on whether these coaches think you're good enough and then these releases happens and things like that. How do you look back at at those sometimes of rejections and and kind of weighing that on your value of yourself as a person and as a player? Yeah, so this comes a little bit back to what I was saying about the, you know, the determination um, and the resilience uh, and also that you need other people to believe in you, not just yourself. I mean, I, I remember so, so clearly that the day that I was um, kind of released by Arsenal, I, I remember it like it was kind of yesterday. I remember walking into the office with my dad and being, you know, having to hear at the age of what was I, like 10 or something, you know, young age, having to hear at that age that um, they don't think you're good enough to play there and you know they're not going to move forward with you and you're released so I think yeah I think um, my dad helped more than anyone with that I think he was always the one to kind of um, to go away and say oh well listen they're wrong you're a great player Um, you have it in you I can see it 
Um, and so he was always the one who kind of like pushed me forward in that sense when I would, cause I was, you know, a 10 year old boy and to get that rejection at 10, you're kind of thinking, oh, well, if he doesn't want me, then, then no one is going to kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my dad always had that belief in me and, and pushed me forward in that sense. It was never a sense of, it was never a sense of he, him pushing me for his own benefit. It was always just him giving me the belief in myself. And then, I mean, at a very young age, you, you moved to Holland. Was that um, was that purely based on for your football experience? Or you mentioned before that your family moved to Holland. You decided also to move with them. Yeah. So my mom actually got a job in, in Amsterdam and her head office is in Amsterdam. So we went as kind of like a summer trip with the family to see if we liked it there to kind of adjust a little bit. The original plan was that me and my brother would still go to school in London because um, I, I still had two years left of education. He had one year left of of you know, uh, say, what is it, secondary education. And so the plan was for my dad to go back and forth, my mom to move to Holland and me and my brother stay in England. While we were in uh, Holland for that two month kind of summer holiday kind of thing, uh, I went to train with the team HFC Harlem just to keep fit and see, you know, basically that was it, keep fit, keep my keep my rhythm up. And then before going back and um, going to try and play for a club in England. Um, and after like a couple of weeks, they turned around and said, what are your plans? Because we think actually you could be a really good fit for us and we want you here. And it was at that time that we then as a family had to make that decision of, you know, am I going to move with my mom as well? Or am I going to stay in, in England? And, I, you know, it was one of those things that I just kind of turned around and went, why not? You know, like it's a whole new experience. It could be really fun. Um, why not? Let's make that change. And then my family obviously adjusted around that to find me education in Holland and things like that. It was actually really lucky because I had just finished my GCSEs, which is kind of like a cutoff point in England that you do at 16. And then you go on to A-levels, which is your final two years of school. So there wasn't a clear cut there. It wasn't like um, I was in the middle of an, an education. So that was quite lucky in that sense that I could just kind of leave, leave that and then move on to the next. Did you look at it as something that was going to turn into like, something so I guess long term and kind of set the stage of a, of a journey abroad did that even occur to you of what this what stage you were setting not really no I, to be honest it was more in in the time that I was playing now I just really enjoyed the way that they played football I really enjoyed the coaching that I was getting um and so it was more on the sense of because I was enjoying myself so much I went like why not continue enjoying myself and doing this um, you know, I was just having fun and, and although it was serious and I knew they were, you know, a good youth academy in Holland, um, I didn't really think, oh, this is going to be their kind of springboard for the next step. Mm -hmm. It was more kind of like, am I enjoying myself at this level? Can I play this level? And, um, am I going to have fun while doing it? And that was, the answer was yes. And speaking of, uh, you enjoying the way they play, what did it do for your development at that, at a young age like that, particularly in Netherlands where they like to play out of the back, they want their center backs to keep the ball on the ground. Um, what were some of the hardships? And then of course the big move to Ajax. So the, I think, the when I was playing in the, in like that first year in Holland, I wasn't really thinking too much. I was kind of just playing off instinct. Um, and that seemed to work really well. Um, I did have a really, really good team around me, which was which was funny because, you know, I think a lot of that team went on to play kind of professional football. And just very luckily, that team, that was the team that I came into, that which was a very, very talented team. So it made everything kind of a lot easier. When I went to Ajax, I think there was so much, 
not pressure, but so much kind of uh, emphasis on tactical side of things. And I did feel very behind. Um, so kind of like in terms of my tactical brain, my tactical knowledge, you know, where, what am I supposed to do when this happens and positionally, where should I be when that happens and all of this kind of stuff, because the players I was playing with had grown up with the four, three, three system for their entire lives. You know, they'd been playing it for their whole youth. Whereas I'd been used to kind of four, four, two, um, that kind of thing, you know, the kind of traditional English way of, of playing. And so that was a big adjustment for me. Um, especially kind of with the midfield rotations, um, the ways that the winger play, wingers play in Holland was completely different to kind of what I was used to. I was used to two strikers and not such a width, to having such width in the pitch. But that was, I think, the biggest adjustment for me was just mentally having to catch up on learning these tactics and kind of positionally what to do. Um, and so that I felt like very behind. And so I was kind of like always trying to catch up, trying to catch up, trying to catch up for the next kind of two years. Um, to all these kids who had kind of been playing this for their whole lives. And did you feel like there was a moment where you kind of reached that catch up and then you were able to kind of shine and start and not really maybe second guess yourself or think too much into it when you were on the field? Um, I don't think I've still caught up now, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's fair to be honest. I think there's always, there's the, th the thing is, is also, there's always going to be new things coming on top mm -hmm. of that anyway. Of so course, I think, we're, yeah. you know, I'm always learning, I'm always developing, and I, I quite like that, um, mm -hmm. you know, that you can uh, keep learning and keep developing that side of your game. And tactics are always evolving. We've seen it, especially in the past, I'd say five, six years, especially with kind of the growth of Pep as a, as a manager and him bringing kind of all these new ideas that everyone is then trying to kind of adapt to and bring some of their own. Um, you look at teams like Brighton, Hove Albion now, the way that they're playing football is also kind of, in my opinion, revolutionary the past few years that they've been doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're always going to learn new things. So I think um, you're always chasing after this kind of like unreachable goal, but in a way it's really, really nice. How do you look back on the time with Ajax as a whole and what it did for your development? And then also, do you have any certain highs that you kind of look back at? Yeah, I think it was... Ajax was, was a pretty tough period for me. I think it did so much for my development, mentally, physically, and, and you know, tactically. So much for my development. I learned so much when I was there. I did have quite a tough time there because the, the jump in training was so intense for me that my body kind of couldn't keep up. And I had a couple of injuries, you know, in my first and second year at Ajax that kind of slowed that progress down a little bit. So I look back at it with a little bit of kind of like a half-half feeling of, um, you know, what if I'd have been able to be fit that whole time at Ajax and, and what could have been kind of thing. But for my development, I think it was it was really amazing. And some of the players I got to play with there um, was kind of absolutely fantastic, just completely different level. Um, and even some of the coaches that I got to work with, just their kind of level as well and their, their way of thinking and their intensity as well really helped me as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, lots of highlights. Weirdly, one that I kind of think of a lot is when Dennis Burkamp came to training. <laughs> he was doing his kind of like coaching, coaching um, badges and he decided to come um, and kind of like do as an assistant coach in our training session, part of his badges. And um, yeah, he then kind of trained with us. Um, and so it was just kind of like a surreal experience um, that kind of happening. Yeah. So I read in a fascinating article in the correspondent that I think, it, I believe it was your time at Ajax that you were kind of also working on the side. So you were doing data entry tasks with your mother. Is that true? 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so that balance on top of already coming into, you know, this incredible schedule, I mean, that's, that's quite difficult. Yeah. I mean, this goes, goes on from what I was saying earlier about kind of just gaining those experiences and doing different things and not focusing a hundred percent on, on football in that sense of closing off to everything else. Um, I was very, very football focused. I was doing kind of like half days at school and then I would have to get, we would get picked up by buses that would then take us to the training ground and we'd then kind of like have training. So I was missing quite a lot of school at that point, mm. just through no fault of my own, just because I was having to leave halfway through. And then at the same time, kind of working for my mom, doing this data entry, which was horrifically boring. But um, yeah, it was just kind of have a different experience of what what life is like and, and what a kind of like a nine to five is like. So on my, on my complete off days, that's what I was doing. And it was an experience. Um, as, as we've spoken to many guests and many professional footballers at various levels, it seems to be a theme that at some point um, we realize that not just focusing purely on football sometimes can actually be negative. And to have something that takes your mind off football can actually increase your performance, which is contrary to what many think when they're younger. Have you continued to do stuff like this throughout your career to kind of, okay, you have football here, but when you have a complete off day, you like to do so and so? Yeah, so I always try and find different things to do uh, on my off days and in my spare time. I don't usually like, for example, things like FIFA and I, like I don't watch a lot of football. I don't play FIFA because I just feel like it's just too much for me. I'm very, I can't really switch off if I'm playing mm -hmm. FIFA or watching football. And then I'm not just watching the game, I'm kind of analyzing the game and I'm thinking, oh, he's done that because there's that, you know, and then when we do that, that happens. So I'm my brain's constantly kind of just like yapping at me and I find that to be very full on. Um, and so I much prefer to kind of take my mind off by doing something kind of completely different, usually outside, you know, even simple, simple things like going for a walk or, um, you know, being kind of outside in nature, doing whatever, it kind of just completely takes your mind away from, um, away from the football. And I think that is super important because your brain needs that time off as well. Um, I think any, you know, anyone who knows about having a healthy brain, you have to also let your brain kind of switch off in order to let your brain absorb everything that you've been doing in the day. Um, and so I just think that's kind of healthy to have things that uh, can take your mind off it um, away from the thing that you're focused on the most, because I feel like it gives you kind of like that refreshed feeling. So you're still doing some data entry in your free time or? Definitely no data entry. I've was the most boring thing ever but it was in a way it was like the off the whole office vibe was kind of nice you know mm -hmm, so i enjoyed yeah. that because you know then you have different like connections like you know it's different people and you're talking and so that was kind of nice that whole um that whole side of the thing but the data entry can imagine we want to head to slovakia now because this transition here is definitely a turning point in your career and kind of is another stage setting so i just kind of want to know in terms of where your head was at when this move is coming out and and what you had in terms of possibilities in the moment and 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 basically i guess the mindset that you had going into it and how you look back at that yeah so i i basically had um opportunities to play kind of first in football in the second league in holland mm -hmm. um so i had i think i had two or three offers kind of to go and play for for a new club uh, in the second league and i kind of thought you know is that for me? I want to. I ideally want to be playing in a top league um, and playing for something. Um, and 
the like I said, the owner of the club in Slovakia was Dutch. And he kind of had a philosophy of he wanted to play the Dutch system, but then in Slovakia and see how that would match up against the traditional Slovakian teams. Um, so he was kind of getting players who either were Dutch or had a Dutch football background uh, and bringing them over to Slovakia. So when I when I got there, I think we had three players at the time who were Dutch or had played in Holland. Um and then we also had kind of like two Brazilians, two Nigerians. So we were a very diverse team. Um, and so we had kind of like different backgrounds and then it all kind of came together and it was hugely successful. So, you know, kind of making that decision was more, um, it was not about where it was. It was more about, am I playing at the highest level? Um, what are my chances to play, kind of to play for something, to play for a championship or play for like Europe League or Champions League qualification? At the time that I went there to have a look at the club and everything, they were playing in Europa League qualifications against Hull City, I think. And they narrowly kind of lost against Hull in those kind of two, in, in the two games. And I was thinking, well, this level is really good, actually. Um, and, you know, I'd be playing for something here. Uh, so that was more the thinking behind that. And, yeah, it turned out to be really successful. How did you, how did you look? Because I, I also read that you seeing them play and seeing the, I guess, the culture around it, did that have any effect on your decision to kind of see how how much love and passion and support there was in the stadium when you were there? Yeah, so I watched, because I, I watched that Europa League game kind of live. Um, and to me, that was kind of the first time that I, that I was, or would be able to, let's say, play in front of like a big crowd. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was also like a big thing for me. I knew in the second league in Holland, I wouldn't really be playing in front of a lot of people. And then kind of like watching this game, um, yeah, I was very like, the atmosphere was good and that was really enjoyable for me. And I think kind of every footballer's dream is to play in front of the biggest crowds and, and to hear that noise and to really take in that atmosphere. So that was another big thing for me. And the club at the time had a reputation for kind of sending players on and, you know, developing them and then you'll see them sign for bigger teams, bigger contracts in, in different leagues. So at that time, it seems like you're kind of playing for the next contract in a way. Of course, you're playing for the badge and you're playing for the club, but a lot of not just the players, but, you know, the management has this in the back of their minds. So for you seeing other players go in and still trying to keep your head down and looking for that next move, was there any difficulty in that kind of in that comparison of, oh, maybe this guy went before me and I'm, you know, I'm I'm playing well, but I haven't gotten that next move yet. Yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, when, you know, you're you're having success and you're playing well and then you see kind of like another player go to this club and you're thinking, oh, I would, you know, that would be, I would have loved that move or, and you yeah. see someone else go there and you say, oh, I would have loved that move. That would have been really cool. Um, so you kind of see all this happening, but in a way, I don't know, you just feel kind of like, okay, be patient. Your time will come the right time. You just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and then you kind of like have your moment. And then for me, I had that, I had that moment. We had a, like an amazing run in the, um, kind of Champions League and Europa League qualifications. Um, and I was a big part of those kind of six to eight games that we play. Um, and that was kind of my time to shine in a way. Um, and I really kind of felt that moment. So it was just kind of having that patience of knowing that I would eventually get the kind of same as as they had before me. Um, and in a way, I was kind of like, when I, when I went to Anderlecht, that was a huge move. And in my opinion, kind of the best move that anyone 
even before me had had made up till that point so to me that was like the justification of you know well done for being patient and kind of like here you go <laughs> so yeah and how was it for you when you kind of you didn't have many opportunities or offers and then all of a sudden after that game against Feyenoord it seemed that everybody wanted you yeah it was I think you you when you play football you kind of know uh, quite a lot of it is to do with the luck of who sees you when um who's scouting you in what game and you know how long have they been following you and when they come to watch you live for that kind of first or second time how do you perform and of course you don't know you know you don't know when or who's watching so it's all kind of just a little like i i think of it as kind of like 80 percent luck of i happen to be playing that game and i had an amazing game up against robin van persie and you happen to have the correct people there in the stands watching you at that time. Um, and then that kind of becomes like a big thing. And once I think kind of like one big club wants you, then the next one kind of hears about that. And then there's a kind of like a knock-on effect of, um, you know, one, two, three, four, five clubs wanting you in the end. And then you kind of get to choose. So the way I see it, it's, it's a lot to do with luck and timing. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to be the one to put those performances out there um, consistently so that when someone is watching then you know they'll be impressed yeah and just like you said it kind of had that snowball effect and it kept it kept on rolling and it kind of rolled into your time at Wales so I mean a lot of I guess a lot of the public weren't kind of aware that you were available in that regard and then it kind of came to what the public saw was I guess a bit out of nowhere but for you and your dad it seemed like this was kind of years of putting in the work those consistent performances and also kind of making them aware that you were available this moment to be able to be named to Giggsy's, uh, you know, Welsh national team. What would, what did that mean for you? Was that a dream come true? Yeah, absolutely. That was um, kind of one of the pinnacles of, of my career so far. So I was you know, ecstatic and my, my whole family were ecstatic as well for me. Um, yeah, it was, it was one of those moments of you kind of really sit down and, and really dwell on it and think about it and go just like, wow, you know, like um, it's one of those moments that really hits you as kind of like, I've really, I've really done this for myself. I've really managed to make it this far. Um, and that was just simply amazing. And you've had some high, high profile coaches, like you said, Giggsy, Dennis Burkamp was, was at your youth time at, at Ajax, Frank Boer. Is this distracting as a player or once you're in the session, you don't really think about it. It's maybe the moments where you have a time to or take a sip of water or something that you realize like, wow, this is Giggsy, this is Burkham. Yeah, it's definitely in the kind of the downtime that you you really kind of think about it when you're out on the pitch. You're so focused on the on the training and the football anyway. There's no real time to think, you know, who wait, who's telling me this? Is it, yeah. is it Ryan Giggs? Oh, OK, then I'll listen. <laughs> you know, you just kind of yeah. get on with it. But uh, um, definitely like afterwards, uh, you actually, you know, even before you kind of go and you're thinking, wow, you know, gigs are taking the session today. I better be on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, playing for, for players like who have done it at this level, it's, it can be, I mean, from, I guess from fan perspective too, it can be quite easy to get swept up in that. But at the end of the day, you know, you've played for so many coaches in your life. It's just kind of another day at the office. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is in a way it's, um, it's in a sense, it's validation. So you know that they've played at that level and for them to then have their faith in you, it's that extra little bit of validation of, 
you know, they kind of like, they know what they're talking about. And mm -hmm. for them to have faith in you, it gives you that extra kind of boost of confidence, which is super nice. Coming back to your time with Anderlecht and then with Pauli out on loan, how would you describe this? I mean, is was alone something that you kind of felt was always going to be in the cards after that after those the, that first year, or how did this kind of plan come about? Yes, yeah, so my first year at Anderlecht was very turbulent. I mean, I think I had three or four different coaches during one season, which is kind of never a good recipe, really, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that was it. Was kind of like up and down. it was a bit all over the place that season and and even though I did play quite a few like quite a lot of games I think I played kind of 25 26 games in that season um you you never really know what's going to happen afterwards so of course you know there was we we didn't know who our coach was going to be for the season afterwards we didn't know what system they wanted what kind of players they wanted to bring in or, or not um and so that was kind of all up in the air that summer and so there was a lot of kind of talk of like what's going to be happening and then um, Vincent company came in um, and he basically said, I need a whole refresh. Um, and so basically all the players who had played the previous season were kind of shifted out and he kind of brought in a lot of youth players and then kind of his own uh, players that fitted the, his philosophy at the time. Um, and so as like the players who had played in the season before, we felt very kind of like just shifted to the side. And um, we had then, you know, we had open discussions with him and he said, look, like, um, you're probably not going to get much game time. So it might be better for you to to look for something else. And at that time, uh, St. Pauli came with an offer of a loan. Um, and I had a look kind of online. I Googled them. I, you know, I Googled the city. I Googled Hamburg. I Googled the fans. I Googled the stadium. I Googled some highlights and things like that. And yeah, I was pretty quickly um, convinced that that would be a really, really awesome step. Um, and also another great experience to have. Um, to play for a club like that so then I just kind of went yeah let's do it did you feel that flip side of kind of how we talked about playing for those big managers and playing for such an established center back throughout the years for Man City did you feel the adverse effects of that in terms of validation from a coach who maybe didn't see you as part of his plans at the time yeah it was definitely like a blow but I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was everything it was more I, I understood the situation um, I understood kind of like what he wanted from, you know, he wanted that complete freshness. He wanted to kind of have a massive clear out, which I completely understand. It's, it's you know, that's kind of like his prerogative is coming in as a, as a coach after a, a disaster season, which mm. it wasn't, but, you know, for Anderlecht's level, it was. Mm. Um, so, you know, I completely kind of get that. And it wasn't, I don't think it was a personal thing. I didn't really take it in a personal way. Um, I saw it more as we were kind of like a group and it was more and more that the group was kind of moving forward. So um, I tried not to take it too personally. Of course, you're going to feel it a little bit like, you know, ah, I thought I would have fitted really well into that system kind of thing. Um, but yeah, if a manager doesn't see that, then they don't see that. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's never, it's usually never personal. Weirdly, a lot of people take it personally, but you can't really, you can't really do that. I find that that dwells on your mind a little bit too long. So you just kind of have to let it go and move on. And speaking about your time at St. Pauli, I know you're playing for a rival now, so we can't do too much praising, but just how do you look back at that experience? Um, again, about like the club, the culture, the fans, and do you have a favorite memory there? Um, I'd probably go all the way back to my very first game, actually, I think, because that was my first experience of the Milan tour, the stadium. Um, so my first experience in front of the fans, it was also a derby game, and then I also scored a goal. So it was, I, I, I don't think I could have a first game, yeah. <laughs> 
that was I think that was a really big high and my adrenaline levels were through the roof for the next week so um that was just amazing what a derby that is too like just a, a world-renowned derby in, in Hamburg to to have that kind of stat line at the end of your first game is just that's incredible this was uh, this wasn't the big big derby it was uh this was the north derby. it was against uh holston Kiel. Oh, thank you okay, yeah, okay yeah. still also though, big. Yeah. still but still a big derby but and i guess my one of my second best memories at Pauli was the derby against haas foul um which we hadn't i don't think we'd won in kind of like eight years or something or ages and you know we played at home and then we won and that was also an amazing amazing feeling so sick yeah Amazing experience, I'm sure. We don't want to bring it up too much, but this is just another hurdle that footballers have to kind of deal with and and one that you've had a few times in your life. And these are these injury blows. So as someone who's played at the highest levels, I think this would be really good information to go inside your mind a little bit, how you deal with them, um, especially for some of our younger viewers, because it can be quite easy to kind of go into, you know, a dark place during your injuries because we put so much reliance on the day in and day out of playing and being around the team. And that reliance really spills into kind of the happiness levels. So for you, I mean, what are some ways you feel like you can approach it after you have an injury? So, I mean, the main thing for me was having a clear set kind of goal of when I'm going to be back. Um, it gives you something to work towards. Um, and also kind of having a, a physio team that you really believe and trust in. Um, during your kind of rehab process. Um, so those are kind of like the two main things for me. It was kind of really knowing, oh, I'm going to be back and back like exactly then. Um, and then I kind of could work towards that. And then it's it's pretty much like we were talking about before. You set yourself small goals during the week, during the three weeks, during a month, kind of like I'm, I need to make this progression, this progression, this progression. Um, there will always, always be setbacks no matter what your injury is, no matter how simple you feel like the rehab is, there will always be setbacks. So you just have to kind of roll with those. Um, a lot of speed bumps always, because there are so many complications that you don't think about before when you have, for example, an operation, there are so many different things that you have to deal with. And so you just have to keep going and get through them. Um, have faith in the people that are helping you, have faith in your physio team um, and set yourself those goals so that when you exceed them, you're, you know, you're really happy. But also when you don't when you don't make your goal, then you say, OK, well, then I'm going to make it next week. And, and you just kind of need to keep moving forward like that. I'd say resilience, again, is just number one. Um, have that resilience and that belief that you're going to be back and you're going to be better than you were before. It's kind of the thing that everyone says, right? You know, they get injured and they say, oh, I'll be back and I'll be better. Um, mm -hmm. It's actually a really good mindset to have. Um, look, as, look at it as an opportunity to get yourself stronger, uh, to make yourself better, to do you know, maybe some things that you wouldn't have been able to do if you were in the season, you know, because during a season, you're focused on playing the games, you're focused on um, training well and, and playing the game at the end of the week and then recovering from that. So maybe you don't have time to work on so much strength and power and speed and things like that. But when you're injured and you're kind of on your way back, you have the time to, to work in the gym, to do those kind of um, strength, lots of strength training, to do those power training and that and really up your sprint speed or up your jumping strength or things like that so use that time well um in order to kind of make yourself an even better person when you're back and like you said and the difficulties can arise and there can be waves in it but having that plan you know in the back of your head and kind of experiencing these things before you know you've had injuries and then you know being able to use that process again to kind of build off of and 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 
and knowing in your head, look, I've come back from this, you know, there will be more opportunities. That one injury after you were named in the Euro squad, do you feel like having those injuries before kind of helped you approach that? Because that one is, is a quite a detrimental one, could be quite devastating for a footballer to reach the levels that you've reached um, and hopefully have that opportunity once again. But do you feel like, first off, was that probably the hardest injury in your career to kind of get through? And then how did the ones before it kind of help you for that one? Um, yeah, by far the, the most difficult one I've had. In terms of the actual injury, one of the easiest. It was mm. a five-week recovery process. Very, very simple, very linear. Um, mentally, the most difficult thing I think I've ever been through. Um, just knowing that I was going to be in that squad and with a definite outlook on playing games and getting game time in the Euros. Um, so that's kind of, you know, one of my biggest ever dreams that I had when I first went and played for Wales was to play a Euro, you know, play in the Euros with Wales. So that I think mentally more than anything was, was one of the hardest things I've ever been through. But like I said, I had, you know, good people around me. Um, and once you're kind of into the, once you're through the first kind of week of shock and things like that, you then just decide to put your head down again and just work through it and, and get on with it. And you can't change what happened. You can't change the past as much as you'd perhaps like to, you know, you think, Oh, why did I do that? Or why, did, why didn't I take, take a, a step less in training there? Or why didn't I just go easy a little bit? You know, why did I train hundred percent there? But I don't think you can have any regrets in, in what you do. I think that just leads to you being a bit too negative and too hard on yourself. Um, and that would also change things for you in the future. So I think you just got to get on with it. And once you're in it, it's kind of easier to do because you just get your head down and work hard. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a tough time. And in reflection of your many experiences abroad, did you ever expect your roadmap to be like this going from Holland to Slovakia to Belgium and now in Germany? No, I, I think like if you would have asked me when I was playing in, in England or, or wherever you, you would have said, Oh, what do you think your career is going to look like? I would have said, I'll be at one club for the next 10 years. Or, you know, I think that's kind of like what everyone thinks, but um, yeah. I, I could have never predicted where I've gone or what I've experienced. Um, so yeah, in a way I'm, I look back very, very fondly on my career so far. And um, I also, in a way I've achieved things that I perhaps wouldn't have thought um yeah. and so i think in a way that's that's been a real blessing and what advice do you have for players who maybe are presented with opportunities abroad kind of getting outside your comfort zone particularly leaving your country i think it's a very individual experience so i think my advice because of my personal experience would be do it um i it's not for everyone at the same time i think you do need to be mentally kind of tough. You will be alone quite a lot of the time. You will have to adjust to a new culture very quickly and kind of settle into a new team, learn new languages, um, adapt to, to that whole side of life. Um, but I think it can be super, super rewarding. So I think even if you do it and perhaps the football side doesn't work out, you'll have learned thing along, things along the way that will help you in life no matter what. So uh, in my in my kind of humble opinion it's it's always worth taking that slight risk or that step 
um, because you'll learn not only more about football, you'll learn a lot more about yourself um, and you'll also learn a lot more about other cultures. Yeah, and as many people always say, you know, you can't always grow in a comfortable place. So at some points, there needs to be that kind of step. And as someone who took that step at quite a young age, you know, kind of ripped the Band-Aid off in, in, in that term, do you feel like now you kind of seek out those challenges to put yourself in an uncomfortable place or in a place that you can grow and, and become a better player and also maybe improve, you know, aspects as a person? Yeah, so I now... I'm now kind of, I feel like I'm down for anything. So, um, down for anything. yeah, what kind of whatever opportunities come my way, I think I approach them with a very, very open mind. Um, so, you know, I would never say no straight off the bat to something that might sound, you know, a little out there at first. I would always take the time to really consider that as an option and um, weigh, weigh in all of the things that I, I know um, from my experience and kind of take that into consideration and make a decision from there instead of just saying, oh, that doesn't sound, you know, that doesn't sound like it would be for me. Um, I always take that with like an open mind. Yeah, awesome. And reflecting on the journey right now, what things would you say helped you to get to this moment? So in other words, why did James make it as a pro and why is he still going? Um, I think I made it as a pro because... Um, I had a lot of help. <laughs> so I, yeah, it's true. I had, I had really good people around me who were always helping me out whenever I needed it. Um, you know, my dad took me to every single game and every single training up until I was 18, 19. And I could then start driving myself, you know, so that I was very blessed in that sense. Um, I had a lot of support at home, no matter what good days, bad days. Uh, I had really good people around me in terms of friends and, and things like that. Um, so I would put my success down a lot to other people and also my sheer determination to make it through whatever came at me, make it through whatever kind of speed bump there was um, and just continue to kind of move forward. Love that. Yeah. We're going to head into our fast feet round now. Some quick fire questions to end off. Favorite player growing up? Eric Cantona. Ooh, quick. Favorite moment in football? Um, first game for Wales. Most difficult moment? Um, heart operation at age 18. Wow. Oh, let's stop this for a second. What was that like? We can't keep going. We can't move past that. It was, <laughs> can't it, move was past hard. it was yeah. tough. It was, um, it was a moment that it was kind of like, I didn't know if I was going to be able to play football afterwards or not. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know if it could be fixed first off the bat until we kind of done more research into it um so just in terms of not having that uncertainty of am i going to come out the other side of this uh that was i guess more than anything that was tough was that in your ix years yeah yeah okay, and well. it was basically put down to a change in my training so i was going from kind of three trainings a week to five trainings a week mm. um and that up in intensity caused my heart to kind of overgrow and then a part of my heart wall grew into the AV node, which regulates your heartbeat. And so my heartbeat was as soon as I hit like 180, which is kind of like, you know, when you're sprinting and really working mm -hmm. hard, it would just kind of like skip to 240, 250-ish. Um, wow. And so my heart would be kind of beating out my chest. I'd have to lie down middle of the pitch kind of thing um, and just kind of like catch my breath. I was incredibly tired. So unable to play football with that. Um, and... Finally, we had another guy in my team who had the same, a similar problem. 
um, due to like kind of the same thing. His was unoperable, and oh, he wow. ended up having to stop playing football. So, yeah, I felt very very lucky that mine kind of could be fixed. Um, but I also at the same time saw that his career had just kind of ended um, because of pretty much the same thing. So that was tough. The perspective levels on this is quite insane. Yeah. 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 Coming back into it, best advice you ever received? Uh, always challenge yourself. Always go one step further than you think you can. Johan Kral. Love that. Directly favorite place? Direct favorite, to. Directly to you. From from himself. Yeah, from him. Wow. <laughs> that hits hard. Favorite place you've lived? Uh, Amsterdam. Best player you ever played with and against? Gareth Bale and Kevin De Bruyne. That's yeah. tough to top. <laughs> yeah. If you weren't a footballer, what would you be? Ooh, um, teacher or journalist? Data interest. Yeah. Data entry? No. You no, cross it off the list. I was bad at that. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite book? Ooh, um, yes um sun tzu art of war oh yeah mm -hmm. wow okay mm -hmm. it's been mentioned before a good one any quote or mantra that you live by Ooh. not particularly not particularly no just enjoy life enjoy what you do find fun in everything if you don't find fun you're not going to enjoy it love there that you go. i like that James, we want to thank you so much for coming on, um, taking the time, tell, telling us about your journey and giving advice for the next crop of generation of footballers. So we wish you all the best this year and in the coming years. And yeah, thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I had a lot of fun. James Lawrence. Yeah. We want what to say guy. thank you again to James. Yeah, we want to say thank you to the Nuremberg uh, media team for helping us set that up. And... Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast and a lot of the things that we learn from guests, you know, can be quite interchangeable. But there are so many things that are so unique in his path that can put some things in perspective. I mean, that, you know, at the end, sharing about his heart surgery, that perspective that I kind of put in terms of, you know, wanting and having love and enjoying to play the game because he didn't know he would be able to play it again is a huge one that stuck out to me. You know, he's played for big names. He's played against big names. And you can tell that that's not really why he does it. You know, a lot of a lot of people do it for the name, for the recognition. You can tell that he has that love for, for the game, for the sport, and for making himself better on and off the field. And I think young ballers really need to listen to this episode in terms of, you know, setting the stage for what you can become, for goal, setting goals, for dealing with setbacks, dealing with those games of opinions, you know, rejection, but also coming through, staying patient, knowing when his time was going to come. You know, the list goes on in terms of the things that he's learned and can share in this episode, the things that I've learned, the things that I think young ballers can learn. And that's just scratching the surface on some of the things I've mentioned. You know, hopefully we get a chance to do this again with James because I think we could even dive into some to plenty more topics, but, you know, we appreciate the time that he, he spent with us and, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see guys, 
you know, after we interview them to go and see them live. So hopefully yeah. we get some tickets to that Pauli uh, Nuremberg game or, you know, a game in, in the, in the region. Yeah, no, totally. And I love, uh, I love the fact too, that he, it seemed that he had a, at an early age, he was able to realize that he can kind of use football to just have life experiences. And like you mentioned at the end, it's like, okay, if I move abroad, like there's really nothing I can't lose in this situation. Football could go poorly, but now I'm living in Holland or I'm living in Slovakia or I'm living in Belgium or I'm living in Germany. And at this point, he realized like, yeah, there's definitely, it's a win-win situation. Either both can go great, or at least I just live in a cool place and then experience a new culture and it's kind of what we've mentioned on this podcast many times. It's like you can't lose at the end of the day yeah. by getting out of your comfort zone because you just learn and grow as a person. And if the football works out, that's even better. But sometimes there's a lot of luck involved, like he also mentioned, is that sometimes it's just not meant to be. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time and it doesn't work. But vice versa, you can be at the right place at the right time. And then you go from playing in front of 500 fans to 20,000. And then from there, you move on to playing, uh, you know, Champions League, Europa League. So it can happen really quickly. I also like that he was speaking about just having patience where like he felt his teammates were getting moves and he wasn't getting one. But then in the end, he probably got the best move yeah, uh, exactly. when he moved to Anderlecht. So by just being patient and performing consistently and not dropping your performances because you feel that you didn't get what you deserved, because in the end, you're just you're losing. But just keeping the performances going and then he gets seen at a particular game against Feyenoord. And then from there, he kind of had many, many options at big name club. So that was a really cool, unique perspective to hear. Another thing I liked that he brought in and he was very adamant about was just how much success he owed to his circle and the people around him. And I think we can kind of get caught, especially now there's just this vibe that, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it alone and the independence. And that's great because a lot of the times you're going to spend a lot of time alone and you're going to have to believe the dream alone but it's also so key to have people in and around you that believe in you and believe in the dream as well and people that you can share things with because sometimes those difficult moments can you know it can be quite a cloudy day but having those people to reflect in and believe in you and challenge you and call you on your bullshit and make sure that you know you're doing everything you can to to live the dream that you say you want to live is so important and to not always just caught, get caught in this, you know, I'm, it's me, I'm doing it alone. I don't need anyone else because in the end, that doesn't help. That doesn't help anyone. And I, and I think, you know, being adamant about it as he was, I think that puts it in perspective as well. Yeah. Great episode really? all in Great all, episode. wasn't it? Very good conversation. Yeah. Another thing that just came to mind before we have a podcast after the podcast was, <laughs> yeah, Obviously, it is it is player and play, player by player basis, it's case by case basis for for making the jumps abroad from your from your domestic country or from your situation, and it can be quite scary, especially that first move. But you can tell, and just from his words, how open he is to that kind of process again. And what we would say from our own experiences, Sean and I, and what we've talked about on the pod from our stories as as well with other guests, is after that first move it really becomes so much easier. It really is like ripping the bandaid off because after that, now it's just sensation. And then doing it again, yeah, it could be scary even the second and the third time. You know, Sean and I are going through transitions ourselves and the next club that comes, it can be quite scary depending on where it is. But knowing and having that in the vault and then also being scared but being excited, that's kind of the process that is 
it kind of can take you by storm and you know you can kind of get addicted to it that's what i was going to say i think i think it turns from in the beginning it's like a little bit of you're maybe excited but also scared because you don't know what to expect that and balance. i think at this point it's like 99.9 percent excitement you know oh, i don't know like, if it's that high i would say it's, it's more i would say it's like I mean, I mean of course, case it, it by case, different. Place. Depends on the place. Depends on exactly. the, uh, the player depends too. The place, We're different players. Sure. We're different. And the player, exactly. But I think there, there's yeah, just much more excitement because you've kind of seen you haven't seen it all because you're going to go to a new country and experiencing something you've never experienced, but you've seen a lot, and you know that like okay, there's some these are some horrible things that could happen, but I've already gone through that. Like I know how to fix that or get over that or deal with this issue. And there's definitely going to be some new ones that are going to be interesting to go through, but also there's so many positives. Like we talk about there's it so when many you go to a new place. It's like, yeah. there's just so much new stimulus, just walking down the street, just looking at buildings and signs or going to the supermarket and seeing just everything. It's just exciting that part of traveling. So yeah, I could Look, kind of attest to what he was saying at the end. He's like, I'm down for anything. I get yeah, that. Absolutely. Look, he's he sparked in uh, a whole second podcast episode within the podcast. <laughs> so again, we thank James. If you guys want to look out for him, you can follow him on Instagram and you can follow Nuremberg for how they're doing in the second Bundesliga. Um, a lot of games will get sh- for, for our American viewers. A lot of games do get streamed um, on Watch ESPN. So you can always look for that. Um, non USA viewers or listeners. Um, yeah, I don't know. It depends. I do all my streaming from the U.S. So, yeah, with I mean, v- there's some the Reddit VPN. links. I don't know if I should have said that. Do a that. Google search. <laughs> yeah, you can find it. Some I think like find the Fubu accounts or whatever. That what is that? There's yeah, there's ways to stream it. Yeah, it's there's ways. League, so. Yeah, you can look out for him and yeah, look out for us. Make sure you continue with that free support, liking, subscribing, sharing, you know, commenting. You know, if you're a player, just reaching out to us with questions. We always do our consultations. That's a 15 to 20 minute consultation with Sean and I for free. We just ask for your email for a newsletter, you know, connect with us, answer questions, you know, grow in your circle and your network and yeah, all that good stuff. And I guess there's more to come. We're going to just tease a few things before we actually get them um, in circulation, but there's more to come this fall. So just, you want to be signed up for that newsletter is what I'll say. Yeah. And with that, until next time, keep moving forward, keep learning, and make your own path. Footwork is sponsored by ourselves and great companies such as Kong Fitness. But we love to partner with new brands to make their own paths, so get in touch if you must. Footwork.club, the official footwork website is now live, so make sure you go join the club and check out all the new content and all the new features. Find us on YouTube at Footwork Podcast. You better like and subscribe while you're there. If not, I don't know what to tell you. Find us on Instagram at Footwork underscore podcast. Great time there. Twitter at Footwork Podcast. TikTok at Footwork Podcast, where we like to post dance videos those are great but more importantly amazing content for any dream chasers out there plug plug pass tell your friends your enemies your mother your brother your sister your pastor it doesn't matter who tell the mailman your dog anybody that can listen like subscribe review because all of that helps while you're there we'll take whatever we can get to join the club join the club he messed me up i mean he can just he can just mash it together so it's fine (laughs)